Hello and uh, thank you for joining us here in uh, On Israel. I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. The strategic dialogue between Israel and the United States on Iran is scheduled to begin very soon, which is more than can be said uh, for negotiations between the U.S. and Iran. Tehran has flatly rejected the American proposal to renew talks, and the Ayatollahs seem unimpressed by the changing of the guard in Washington. Meanwhile, tensions are high as Israel prepares for another crucial election campaign and uh, is at the, t- the same time trading blows with Iran, some of them military, some secret, others public. Just last week, a cargo ship owned by an Israeli businessman was damaged in a commando, alleged commando attack in the Gulf of Fuman. An Israeli minister is accusing Iran uh, of environmental terrorism involving a Libyan tanker that allegedly spilled tons of oil off Israel's coast, causing widespread pollution. Meanwhile, aerial strikes on Iranian tar- targets continue in Syria, some carried out by Israel, others by U- the United States. Israeli leaders and top officials are divided on how to deal with the new administration's uh, intention to return to the agreement with Iran and on the way to mobilize the Russians and Chinese in order to plug the holes in that deal. Prime Minister Netanyahu prefers a tough, confrontational approach and claims that anything is better than a new agreement with the Iranians. But not everyone in Israel agrees. A few days ago, the Idiot Achronot newspaper ran a wide-ranging interview with the deputy head of the Mossad, uh, who left the agency last month. The official, identified only by the initials of his uh, first name, A, revealed details of the complex intelligence operation designed to convince then-President Trump to withdraw from the deal with Iran in 2018. But he also admitted that although the operation has, uh, had achieved its target, Israel's position these days is far worse than it was while the agreement was enforced with U.S. participation. According to the official, the Iranians are far closer to a bomb now than they were during the Obama administration. Our guest today is one of the foremost experts in the world on this issue. He served as director of the Mossad, as head of Israel's National Security Council and as special envoy of three pi- prime ministers for highly classified missions, especially related to regimes that did not maintain official ties with Israel. Ephraim Halevi joins us right after this short commercial break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at almonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon Almonitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our Almonitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform. 
on Israel with Ben Caspit, and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Now I'm very happy to say hello uh, to the ex-Mossad chief, uh, Mr. Ephraim Halevi. Shalom Ephraim, thank you for joining us here in on, on Israel podcast. It's a pleasure to be with you. I want to dive with you to the main issues, the global issues in, here in the Middle East, uh, especially the Iranian uh, issue. But before this, I want, if, uh, if it's possible, to get your comment about a thing that is bothering Israel for the last two or three days since the announcement that the International Criminal Court in The Hague will, uh, will investigate uh, the Israeli uh, officials and maybe commanders and even maybe uh, ministers and prime ministers that are uh, uh, connected to the war in Gaza in 2014. There is a lot of harsh criticism in Israel about this move not only in Israel, also in the United States, many uh, European allies of Israel. What do you, th- do you think about it? <clears throat> well, basically, I think that the uh, decision uh, is uh, a bad decision on their part. I think uh, there is no real legal basis for the uh, move that they have made. And I think uh, it's very possible that the uh, upcoming uh, uh, prosecutor who will be taking over will uh, review this decision and possibly also uh, um, cancel the whole move because uh, the Palestinians are not a state because they are not members of uh, of the international community as such and therefore I think that there is no local standing but I do think uh, that uh, we have uh, as often happens in these cases we have overreacted in Israel because uh, I believe that we would be better served if we did not uh, play this uh, story up and uh, cry foul and immediately introduce the element of this being an anti-Semitic act. Uh, it's certainly not a friendly act to Israel, uh, but I think the, uh, the term of anti-Semitism does not serve us in this case for two reasons. A, because those who are uh, have... Uh, initiated this uh, move are Semites. And secondly, because anti-Semitism is generally believed to be the uh, way that the Jewish uh, people were treated over 2000 years. We had uh, uh, several events in our history after we left uh, our uh, homeland here over 2000 years ago. And the uh, the, uh, last and major event was of course the Holocaust. And we lost uh, six million of our brethren. Uh, I, from my side, also lost uh, an uncle and cousins and other relatives. And uh, as far as European uh, jury is concerned, <clears throat> there's almost nobody who didn't have a uh, um, family that uh, succumbed to the Holocaust. But I think we should not move. We should not mix the, uh, the these matters. Israel today uh, is not in a position to uh, face anti-Semitism on part of the Palestinians. This is a struggle between uh, two uh, uh, nationalist uh, uh, organizations, movements, who are each vying for control of a piece of land. And I think that uh, we have our case, and I think this is a strong one. 
And uh, I think our recent history of the last hundred years is much more uh, important in terms of the way we built this country up to be a major power in the Middle East. And we should not appear as uh, trying to uh, shelter behind the, uh, the uh, how should I put it, the uh, mantle of anti-Semitism, because if you, uh, if you attack a, a synagogue or a temple, a temple uh, a, uh, one of the uh, temples of reform jury, jury in the United States, that is anti-Semitism. But I think that the struggle between us and them is not uh, over anti-Semitism. It's about something much more uh, deep and much more uh, significant for us and for them. I have to say that I agree with you totally. So if I summarize, it's uh, there is no need to panic. And it's a lot of things, but not anti-Semitism. And I want now to, to move uh, forward to our main issue of this conversation. Uh, uh, I'll ask you this. An argument is taking place behind closed doors, some of which has been uh, leaked to the media, regarding the desired policy vis-a-vis -vis the new American administration. Should Israel engage in a pragmatic, intimate dialogue with Biden's people on the Iran issue? Or should it adapt a tough line of the kind that Netanyahu took during the Obama administration? What do you think Israel should do? Well, I think uh, the history of the last uh, uh, 10, 15 years in our relations with the United States has shown that when it comes to the basic interests of Israel, they have been extremely well served by both the uh, previous uh, democratic uh, uh, leadership in the United States and uh, President Trump, who recently uh, lost the election in the United States. I'd like to remind uh, the listeners that we are now uh, in the midst still of the 10 years of a 38 billion uh, uh, decision of uh, President Obama uh, to provide Israel on a yearly basis with uh, $3.8 billion worth of uh, 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 equipment and other elements. And this is something which was uh, uh, with no uh, previous uh, uh, administration. We never had such a long-term agreement. And therefore, I think that uh, one should look at the way uh, uh, Israel uh, went about the uh, JCPOA with the Iran and uh, revisit this uh, subject. Because after all, in the end, what we would like to do is to find some way of solving the problem of the Iranian nuclear uh, program, which is obviously a threat to Israel, not an existential threat, because I have claimed over many years that Israel is, uh, uh, cannot be destroyed. It's indestructible. And I think we have the means at our disposal to prevent our destruction. But it is a, a struggle between us and them, which we have to find the ways of, uh, of reducing to something different than it has been up to now. I think uh, it would be a mistake to do two things. First of all, to uh, uh, adopt the, the policy that was adopted uh, uh, when uh, President Trump came in of uh, convincing him to uh, leave the uh, uh, JCPOA. I think once you leave an agreement, you no longer have leverage on the other side. And B, to uh, study the results of the last four years, if indeed the 
departure from the United States from the, the uh, JCPOA served the best interests of the United States and of Israel. And my inclination is to say that it was not a success. The policy of uh, at ultimate confrontation of uh, uh, imposing sanctions, more sanctions, even greater sanctions, even more heavy sanctions, has not uh, uh, produced the desired results. And even the uh, operations which were carried out uh, by the Mossad in, uh, uh, in Iran, uh, which I think were, uh, in terms of uh, the performance of the Mossad, was exemplary and was uh, uh, certainly a, uh, a message to the Iranians which they cannot ignore. But nevertheless, even that has not brought the Iranians to their knees. And I don't think we can bring them to their knees. After all, who is Iran and what is Iran today? I remember the days in the Shah, I used to visit Iran regularly and meet with the previous regime. This is a country with a hundred million population. I don't think that Israel is in a position to uh, destroy and to uh, remove a hundred million people from the face of the earth. So we have to look at something uh, more, uh, shall we say, attuned to what the practical capabilities are. And I think that uh, ultimately, uh, if we want to reach a different plateau of relations with Iran, we will not be able to uh, do so without uh, trying to talk with them. And I think from my experience over the last 10 years, in meeting Iranians at, in Tractum meetings, which are the place where you can meet them, I'm talking about not uh, Iranians who are in the diaspora, but Iranians coming from Tehran, that there is a desire to try and have a dialogue of one kind or another, but it has to be a dialogue in which uh, each side respects the other. And uh, mutual respect is always uh, something which has to be uh, agreed upon from the beginning in order to begin a meaningful dialogue. You've said so many interesting things in this, uh, in this monologue that I don't know what, what to begin with because I want to ask a few follow-up questions. First, let's, 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 move, let's dive into your, your, uh, what you just said, that the, that the nuclear Iranian threat is not as the existential uh, threat for Israel. Don't you think Israel is what we call a one-bomb state? It's so narrow in, in, few, uh, in Tel Aviv, between Tel Aviv and uh, the, the Tel Aviv Sea and, and uh, Kalkelia, it's uh, 15 miles. Uh, can you imagine a nuclear bomb uh, exploding there? What did you, why do you think it's not an existential threat? And I have to say, your opinion is unique. Most of the Israelis or the experts in Israel I will talk to will, will, uh, will say that it is an existential threat and it's a casus belli and Israel, Israel cannot, uh, cannot, it cannot allow itself uh, um, uh, that Iran will be nuclear. You say vice versa. Can you explain, please? <clears throat> Look, first of all, I'd like to make clear that I am against uh, uh, any, uh, any uh, desire on part of Israel to allow uh, Iran to become nuclear. And the question is, how do you get Ir Iran to, uh, uh, to step back from its programs and to uh, change its policies? Is it by threatening Iran? Uh, you yourself have uh, described what this can be in terms of the confrontation if it takes place uh, on the military level. 
I don't want to go into the details of how Israel could defend itself against a nuclear attack. I believe that Israel has capabilities, both offensive and defensive, to meet this kind of threat. And I think we should have confidence in Israel's capabilities. I, this uh, idea of a one bomb uh, falling on Tel Aviv, uh, of course, uh, can mean, if you accept it in its uh, entirety, that Israel has no chance of, uh, of surviving Iran ultimately. And the best thing we should do is uh, to grab the first uh, seats on an uh, Israeli carafe, uh, aircraft <clears throat> or a foreign aircraft and travel to, uh, to London or to Paris and spend the, the rest of our lives there. I believe this is wrong, absolutely wrong, because I think that the Iranians do not want a nuclear confrontation. I think they want to achieve a certain uh, uh, level of acceptance uh, which we cannot allow them to uh, receive at the moment. So what do we do about that? I think that uh, uh, parallel to uh, taking all the necessary precautions to meet a nuclear threat, all the every and possible uh, precaution, and I don't want to detail what these means, but I think we should take them and we are taking them. And at the same time, we should say, we are willing to talk to you but uh, we are willing to talk to you and to sit down and see how we can coexist. And I think that possibly in such a uh, atmosphere, we might be not pleasantly surprised, but be surprised. I think we have to try it. We have to try it and we have to try it seriously. There are many uh, uh, candidates who can bring this uh, uh, together. I think by the way, that uh, in uh, our efforts uh, to uh, dialogue with the United States, we should refrain from naming individuals who we believe have been appointed by the administration uh, to uh, handle the uh, file. There is a man called Rob Malley, who is uh, a well-known person in Israel and uh, who is uh, considered on the face of it to be uh, a, a person who uh, is not uh, friendly to Israel. I have known Rob Murray for a long time. I don't uh, agree with a lot of things he says, and I don't agree with a lot of his opinions, <clears throat> but he's a serious person. Uh, and I think uh, we should uh, uh, avoid uh, naming names and uh, trying to uh, uh, find uh, uh, escape routes of uh, trying to uh, upset the uh, system that the President uh, I, uh, Biden has created in order to deal with the Iranian uh, uh, file. I think that uh, uh, President uh, Biden is also committed to the defense of Israel. And I think there may be uh, uh, a different kind of a dialogue with the, uh, the administration uh, would uh, serve a useful purpose. I think the confrontation between President Obama and uh, uh, the Israeli government uh, before uh, uh, President uh, Trump came on the scene was a mistake. <clears throat> it did not receive the results. And I think you have to judge things by results and to recognize that you tried one way or another and this way has not brought the desired results and therefore you must change your tactics and change your strategies. When, when you meet Iranians, like you just uh, described, do they know uh, that uh, 
no, I, I will I will rephrase it. Uh, they they sit with you, knowing you are a formal Israeli uh, official. Uh, is the 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 regime in Tehran is aware to to these kinds of meetings? And and actually, I want to ask if you believe that a dialogue between Israel and Iran is possible, even uh, maybe not direct dialogue, but you know through through mediators or proxies or whatever. Look, I do not meet. <clears throat> these uh, people uh, under a clandestine uh, cover at all. Uh, I come to international meetings, track two meetings, with the people from all places around the world, <clears throat> and there are also Iranians there, Iranians who come from Tehran. And they know and, you are Ephraim Alevi, ex-chief of Mossad, and they still talk to you. Ephraim Alevi, ex-chief of Mossad, yes. And uh, what, what do you hear from them? Uh, now, uh, some of them uh, don't talk to me, obviously, but those who do talk to me, and uh, I always talk in the presence of other people, I'm never alone with them, is the following. They say that Iran wants to be a, uh, a regional uh, power. And in order for Iran to be a regional power, the number one, uh, uh, how should I say, uh, the subject number one for them at this particular stage of the uh, conflict is that they will ultimately achieve a common border with Israel. That is the strategic uh, uh, effort that they are involved in. That is why they're in Syria today. That's why they've been trying to get a, a, a gradually to uh, move down south and to get as nearly as possible to Israel and to have a common border. And this is something which we have not allowed and rightly so. And therefore we are now in this uh, situation in which <clears throat> we're not only uh, uh, declaring our policy on this, but we have also been taking uh, steps in the form of uh, aerial uh, combat and aerial uh, attacks on uh, their positions and their capabilities in Syria. <clears throat> and as you see, we have also the, uh, the tacit uh, understanding <clears throat> with uh, Russia in, uh, and with President Putin that he is, although there is a major <clears throat> uh, Russian presence in uh, Syria, uh, the Russians have allowed this use of the Syrian airspace by us to uh, destroy many of the attempts that the Iranians have uh, uh, been engaged in to uh, increase and to uh, spread their control southwards. Now, there is a kind of a, uh, a, uh, a dead heat here. It's, uh, we're now in, we've uh, been going through this for several years now. And uh, <clears throat> I think that the time has come now, after the Abraham uh, uh, agreements, where we have uh, been able to uh, create a relationship with the, uh, the uh, many of the uh, powers in the Gulf. Uh, I think this is a uh, positive uh, uh, development. By the way, uh, we have worked in the Gulf for many, many, many years. Uh, I was in the Gulf in the 70s, uh, meeting the heads of state there uh, before I was even head of Mossad. And, uh, some of the activities which uh, I was involved in ultimately brought about a meeting between uh, 
the former Prime Minister uh, Rabin immediately after the uh, agreement with Jordan when he visited Oman and he came to Muscat and uh, he had a meeting with uh, the former leader of uh, uh, ruler of uh, Oman, Kabul uh, Sultan, uh, and uh, this was announced publicly. But he met him in 1994, and I met Kabul Sultan in 1975, which means to say 20 years before. So we have been we have been active over many years. This is not just activity which uh, has been uh, 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 registered uh, in the last uh, couple of years or last few years, although even the last decade for that matter. Uh, we have had uh, relationships with leaders there uh, over a long period of time. We had, there was a time when we had a, uh, a uh, foreign ministry position in Oman. We also at one time had a consulate in, in uh, Qatar. Yes, uh, I remember all that. But, Israel, but let me take uh, your time back to, to the, the Iranian issue. And I, I, I know you from maybe, I think, two decades now, even more. And, and not only you, many Israeli officials, and Israel itself has been waiting at least 20 years for the Ayatollahs to be overthrown and still believes it's only a matter of time. But on the other hand, like you said before, there are no significant indications of such development, despite the economic hardships and dislike of uh, the revolution among the younger generation. The regime in Tehran appears stable. Like you just said, uh, we cannot bring, uh, take them to their knees. Did you change your mind on this? <clears throat> um, I think we have to uh, have a lot of patience here. I think we have to, uh, uh, as I said, uh, put together a strategy which will uh, take us for several years forward. I think we have to try and create bridges to the Iranians in one form or another, some of them less public uh, than people would like. And I think also that uh, the Iranians are not fools and they are not, uh, 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 how should I say, uh, uh, married to uh, being uh, obstinate to the very end. I think there are people in the regime who believe that uh, maybe the time has come to have a different uh, policy. There's going to be an election in a few months' time now for the uh, position of uh, the president of Iran. The president uh, of Iran, uh, the, uh, the, the current president of Iran will be stepping down and there'll be a, um, a, uh, an election. One of the uh, uh, candidates for election is Ahmadinejad who in the past was a very, very anti-Israeli figure in every sense of the term. The way he expresses himself these days on this issue is quite different than the way he expressed himself many years ago. I'm not saying he's a great uh, fan of Israel. But not a Zionist. No, but, but I think he's speaking differently than he's spoken in the past. We should not uh, simply uh, dismiss this kind of... Uh, 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 event or this kind of, uh, of, 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 I don't want to uh, overplay it, but I'm referring it as an example that people sometimes change their minds. And I think that policies have to be attuned to the immediate, to the present. In the end, uh, you've asked me whether, uh, 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 Israel, whether um, a, uh, can Israel survive a uh, nuclear bomb uh, 
on Tel Aviv. Uh, I won't answer that question, but I'm asking you, do you think that uh, uh, if Israel attacked Iran, we, we could destroy Iran and remove it from the face of the earth? I think uh, we have to be a little more uh, uh, modest in, uh, in uh, our, uh, the way we uh, assess our, our activities. It's I think we time to be to be a little modest. Last question about the Iranian issue. Do you think there is still a, a military option in a worst case scenario, a, maybe a military option by the Americans or even by Israel itself alone? But the, my answer to that, that question is I don't know. <clears throat> And if I did know, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> so so uh, I don't think that this is a subject which uh, we can discuss uh, uh, openly through this uh, format that we have at the moment. But I think that uh, the, uh, the way uh, people uh, uh, approach this is to say that all options are on the table. That can uh, be a very nice uh, phrase and it, uh, it allows you a large latitude of, uh, of uh, thought and of possibilities. Okay, now I want to close this very interesting conversation in uh, asking you uh, in rushing to develop its ties and relations with second and uh, third tier uh, countries such as the Emirates, you just spoke about it, uh, uh, all the, 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 new, the new treaties and the old treaties, Bahrain and Sudan. Is Israel neglecting its veteran peace agreement uh, partners like Egypt and Jordan? And you are, um, I think, maybe the, the most veteran expert, especially about the Jordanian issue. Relations between King Abdullah and Netanyahu are in uh, all-time low. Do you think uh, they can be improved? As you know, uh, it's famous to say it takes two to tango. <clears throat> uh, As you know, I was uh, deeply involved in the uh, relationship with Jordan. And uh, in the past, I was also active in uh, repairing some of the damage which took, uh, uh, which happened uh, in our relations with Jordan in 1997 with the Mashhad affair. And as you probably also know, uh, I had not only good relations with uh, the late King Hussein, but also with uh, King Abdullah and uh, I think uh, uh, King Abdullah is basically a, a very, very uh, reasonable and uh, well-balanced uh, leader of Jordan. And I think, uh, it, as I said, it takes two to tango. Let's not forget that Jordan and Israel have the longest border between Israel and any other country in the region. Let's not forget that in the, in the past, uh, Jordan was the uh, uh, place where uh, Terrorists used to uh, get together and to plan and launch attacks against Israel. The fact that we have a peaceful border with Jordan and, uh, and uh, Israel uh, removes the necessity of Israel uh, uh, stationing uh, large numbers of units along the uh, Jordan River and south of the Dead Sea. Uh, these are not small uh, matters. These are matters which have a greater significance. Jordan now uh, has a, a population of almost 10 million. Most of them are not uh, original Jordanians. The last uh, number of people who came in is from Syria, for almost two, two million plus 
I was there uh, some time ago, and I saw the villages that they have uh, uh, created there, and they are now not only uh, there, that they are, they are uh, signaling they're there to stay. Jordan has a very, very heavy uh, burden on its shoulders, which it has to deal with. And I think that there should be more uh, patience on the part of Israel with Jordan than has been the case uh, uh, in recent years. And I think that some of the, uh, the ways that we have uh, treated Jordan have not uh, uh, contributed to the, uh, to the basic necessities of Israel uh, eastwards. And as far as uh, uh, Egypt is concerned, uh, we have joint uh, 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 strategic interests in the Sinai against the groups which are still active there, which are very, very dangerous also and threatening uh, uh, Egyptian uh, um, security and other necessities. I think uh, Egypt is important, very, very important. Again, I, men I mentioned uh, Egypt has a country, is a country of over 100 million people. Is Egypt and, 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 and uh, Iran together are 200 million people. And we should, uh, uh, I think, uh, uh, invest much more in, uh, uh, in uh, cultivating uh, the relationship with the Egyptian leader and the Egyptian leadership. And uh, we should be, uh, not take people for granted. I think one of the problems we have now is that we take uh, Egypt and, uh, and, uh, and Iran for granted. Uh, the Emirates are, are a very important element in the Gulf. That if you compare the Emirates to Egypt or the Emirates to Iran, or you compare Oman even to Iran, or you compare uh, Qatar to Iran, we have to have a sense of proportions. Egypt and Iran are very, very important. And Jordan is very important as a buffer state between us and the East. And we have to invest in this. And we have to be... Uh, uh, sensitive to the necessities of Jordan and the problems of Jordan, and we should be uh, supportive of the uh, Jordanian uh, uh, leadership today. And this is unfortunately uh, not uh, uh, the way and it is at the moment, as you said. If I'm alive, it was uh, an excellent and highly interesting uh, uh, talk here in, uh, on Israel in Al Monitor. I thank you very much for this. And we will take a short break and uh, be right back uh, with uh, some, some final thoughts. Thank you to Darabai Frank. All the best to you. Thank you. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something and you will never be bored because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical 
and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for staying with us. I think uh, this very interesting conversation contained uh, quite a few uh, major headlines from ex-Mossad chief Ephraim uh, Alevi. First and uh, for all, it surprised me uh, talking about the, the decision to uh, indict or investigate Israeli leaders and maybe officers and commanders and, uh, and soldiers of Israel. Uh, in the International uh, Criminal Court in The Hague after the complaint issued by the Palestinian Authority. Efraim uh, Alevi said it is a very bad decision. Uh, it's not base, it doesn't have any legal or judicial basis. The Palestinians are not uh, a state and uh, not recognized as a state by the United Nations, so they cannot uh, uh, be dealt uh, with uh, in, in this court. But after uh, having said all that, he also said, by the way, that the new attorney general in The Hague uh, that is going to, uh, to uh, take office within, I think, in June, within a few months, may check or review or even reverse and cancel this uh, controversial uh, decision. But after having said all that, he said that the, the screams and yells about anti-Semitism in this uh, occasion is false. Israel is a superpower. In the last hundred years, uh, Israel uh, uh, made itself a, a regional superpower in the Middle East. It's about time to stop hiding behind claims of anti-Semitism, uh, especially when uh, when uh, we mean uh, that the Palestinians themselves are Semites, and it's a confrontation between uh, two uh, movements. Uh, the Palestinian movement uh, and the the Zionist or Jewish or whatever, so it's not uh, uh, anti-Semitism. Talking about the Iranian issue, uh, I think Efraim Alevi changed his opinion uh, after two decades. He thinks it's impossible right now, not only for Israel, but for the, the United States and uh, the other superpowers to bring Iran to its knees. Iran is close to 100 million uh, people, population. It's a regional superpower, and uh, we have to forget about it, and maybe also forget about uh, pushing or planning a coup in, in Tehran and waiting for the Ayatollahs to, uh, to pass away or the regime to change. It's about time to start and, and look for uh, occasions to negotiate and to deal with Iran, and he said that he is uh, meeting Iranians, not opposition, not diaspora Iranians, Iranians that are coming from Tehran. He sees and meets them in the international uh, forums, and he speaks with them. And it's very interesting to, to hear it from Ephraim Alevi. And he also said that even a nuclear Iran is not an existential threat to Israel. Israel, says Alevi, cannot be destroyed. It's indestructible, and it's about time to start uh, feel uh, safe for ourselves. It's never too late to, to change the policy, uh, uh, continued uh, Ephraim Alevi, and he actually changed his policy. And he also speaks about uh, the last, uh, the previous uh, president in Iran, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, 
talking about the, the uh, election to the presidency in Iran, I think we expect it uh, in the middle of this year. And Ahmadinejad, uh, who was a very anti-Zionist and anti-Israeli, is one of the candidates. And Fahim Alevi says, listen to Ahmadinejad. He speaks now a lot differently about Israel and the problems than he did before. So it's about time to start uh, 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 checking the possibility to build bridges with the Iranians and not uh, explode them. And about, I asked him if there is a military option uh, uh, to, to uh, finish or to destroy the nuclear uh, facility uh, or infrastructure in Iran. And he said, of course, I don't know. And if I would know, uh, if I knew, I wouldn't have tell you. So this is actually an expected uh, answer from a guy that was the head of Mossad. In the last question, I asked Efraim Alevi about the relationship between Israel and Jordan and uh, Egypt. Uh, he was the closest Israeli to late King Hussein and also to uh, King Abdullah. Efraim Alevi was the guy that was sent to, uh, to uh, mend the, the, the wounds and try to overbridge the gaps after the, the attempt to assassinate uh, Khaled Mashal by Prime Minister Netanyahu in '97. Uh, in uh, uh, Amman, in Jordan. And he says that uh, in order to keep the relationship with Jordan close, you need two to tango. He actually criticized Netanyahu and the Israeli government for not uh, supporting enough the Jordanian leadership. Uh, and Jordan is an, a real asset for the Israeli national security, and we take it for granted, and it's not very good. That's it. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, see you here next Monday in On Israel. I'm Ben Kaspi. Take care.